If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way to that passage there that, that Nikki read. Nikki, forgive me because I forgot to turn the mic on up here. That's my fault. So I don't know what the other stuff was. That was me right there. Um, it helps if you turn the power to the mic on. So forgive me. Sorry. Um, this, I'm, I'm excited to, to continue along this, this journey through James. Um, James I was, is probably the first book that I ever went through just myself, just verse by verse, just trying to understand what it was. So it's kind of, kind of dear to my heart in that sense, but then also because of the practical nature of it. We talked about that last week in kind of this, this introduction to, to the book of James, more of an introduction showing us who he was and so why we can then listen to him. We can heed his instruction. We can learn from him. And then today he just jumps right in. He jumps right into this idea of faith working, and, and that's where we find ourselves today in the sense that just this, this passage that she read, verse 2 through 12 of this first chapter, uh, is a lot of times we, we come to that because our lives are full of struggle, right? If you're going to figure out that there's struggle, there's stuff happening, and you, and you go and you search, even if it's Google or anything like that, if you search for verses that are talking about struggling, you're going to find this passage. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come up. You've probably been taught to go to that passage as far as understanding struggle, whether why you have it or not that, that why you have it, you know you have struggle, but how to overcome it, right? Because that's, that's what we always try to see is we try to figure out how to overcome struggle, how to get out of that, how to find ourselves walking through that because somehow in our minds, in, in who we are, we think that if we're struggling, there's, there's something wrong with us, right? There, there's something wrong that we need to fix. We're fix-it type people, and, and struggle leads us to that. But when we look at this today, we're going to see that it's not just this passage about struggle, but it's more a passage about maturity. It's more a passage about Christian maturity and how we see our lives from a mature Christian perspective. And um, J.A. Montier, uh, in his commentary, says, The great goal of life is Christian maturity. And towards this, we're to bend all our efforts. And so it's with that, that thought in mind that the great goal of our life is to, to be mature, to, to grow up, right? And, and you might have heard that. We just, people just need to grow up. They need to do things. Well, we do too as Christians. And this passage today helps us that. And, and then, so if we're going to worry about maturity, if we're going to talk about maturity, then the question naturally that I come up with, and that you might too, is that, okay, so how do you do that? Right? How, if, it's, if it's the goal is maturity, how do we mature? And what we see today is that it's how we respond to struggle. How you respond to struggle is then how you mature as a Christian. Do you, do you shrink back? Do you just throw your hands up and, and you're done with it? Are you, are you that type of person that something happens, you're like, I can't handle it. And you just withdraw, you completely throw it away and say, I can't handle it. If, if God wanted to take care of it, he would. And some of you just, you're just completely thrown off by this idea of, of struggle or you don't throw your hands up and say, I'm, I'm done with it. You try to fix everything about it, right? You try to f fix your life so much so that, that every part of struggle is eliminated. That there's not a possibility of that. Like, I've fixed this, I've fixed this. Or at the very least, you try to control certain things so you know where the attack's coming from, right? Like, okay, here's the struggle. I can deal with everything else. I've fixed all that, so this is one. What we see in this passage today, and we'll understand what James is teaching us, is that, that we don't need to throw our hands up and, and walk away from it, and we don't need to try to fix it either, that we need to understand how God sees our lives, and then that's going to allow us to walk in struggle and mature 
as a Christian. So if you will, pray with me real quick as we get started, just to ask the Spirit to guide us through this today, and then we'll continue in our, our teaching. Father God, we, we come before you, God. We open your word, and we pray that your Spirit would teach our hearts, God, that, that what you have spoken and taught me throughout this week, that I would then pass that on as you have given it to me, God that we'd be submissive to your spirit, God, that your truth would shape our lives so that our faith would then be at work as we live each day for your glory to advance your kingdom, to make famous your name. And we just pray that now our hearts would be focused on you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so when we look at this idea of basically a pathway to maturity. And when I, when I say pathway, I'm not saying we're going to have this linear progression like you step one, step two. It's not that pathway, but more of, of markers along the way that we come to. And they keep repeating. It's almost like you're lost on the trail. And that's what, for me, for so many years in my Christian life, I was confused because I didn't realize that the life, is, it's a cycle. This Christian growth, Christian maturity is, is cyclical. It's, got, it's a cycle, and I always thought, well, I'm back to this point, so I must be doing something wrong. No, it just keeps building deeper and deeper and deeper until we finish. And so if the first thing we see in this passage is obviously that, that we mature because we have joy and struggle. If you look at verse 2 through 4 again with me, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You're going to face struggles. That's what he says. Consider it joy, or count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. When you have struggles. It's not an if, it's a when. And if you've lived life, you understand that, right? There's no doubt. Struggle, frustration, all of that is going to happen. And James says, yes, it's going to happen. The, the difference is how you respond to that. How you respond to the struggle is the only thing. And in fact, the Christian response to struggle is joy. It's the only true Christian response is joy and struggle. That's what he's saying. Count it all joy. He doesn't say every now and then fix it and, and then you'll have joy. He says, no, count it all joy when you encounter that. So the Christian response then is joy to struggle. And we see that because of who the object of our faith is in Christ. If you look at 1 Chronicles 16, it says that, that joy is found in his place. So it's with him in his place that joy is found. And if you go to Nehemiah 8 that we talked about last spring, in Nehemiah chapter 8, they were mourning and they were weeping because they had been convicted by the Spirit. And all this was happening. He says, no, go home because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Nehemiah sends them out. He says, no, the joy of the Lord is strength. So why can we have joy? Because it comes from him. It's not coming from us because if it was left to us, we wouldn't have joy. Would we? No, because we mess it up. I mess it up all the time. I cause myself frustration. I'm, I'm the biggest cause of frustration in my life. And so if I'm going to have joy like James is saying here, it's to, to realize that it comes from somewhere else, and that's where our faith is at work, is joy and struggle. And that response isn't taught. His, his commentary, I love going back to the old, older church fathers and stuff like that because it's so amazing to me how what they wrote years and years ago fits directly with now. And, and uh, I thought that when I read this quote. Matthew Henry, he said, Philosophy may instruct men to be calm under their troubles, but Christianity teaches them to be joyful. So if we go with the world's teaching of how society's going to teach, according to Matthew Henry and now, we're saying it's going to just, you know, 
Just be calm. It'll all pass. It'll be all right. But no, that's not good enough. The Christian, Christian teaching and what James is saying here is, no, don't be calm in it. Be joyful. Don't just accept it. Be joyful in your struggle. Why? Because it comes from God. It's not found in us. That's how we respond this way. It's because of our faith. And that's really the, the Christian paradox that we, that we live, is that it, we require faith to be joyful in struggling, but to be joyful in struggling grows our faith. And it's like, how does that work? I don't know. It just does. If you are joyful in suffering, it's because you're going to be remaining faithful to the one who's called you. And then that's going to grow your faith, which is going to allow you to be joyful more consistently, quicker in those circumstances. And that's the lie. We think, oh, I've got to have all this faith. I've got to have all this faith to be joyful. No, you're joyful automatically when you realize who you are in Christ. If you're, from the very moment that you understand the gospel and are saved and regenerated from that, you have joy. Why? Because you're now one with Christ. The joy comes from him. It's found in his place. We're not only in his place, he's inside us. There's joy to be had. So it's not this maturity that you have to reach to be joyful. It just keeps us going that way. When we understand who Christ is, then we're going to understand that, wait a second, I already have that. I've already been brought out of that. All that's been taken care of in Christ, and so we're just, we're, we're able to have joy and struggle. So we can say, count it all joy. Why? Because I know who I am in Christ. I know who I am in Christ, and so we respond this way through faith, because then we see in that idea that what does faith produce? Steadfastness. So as you're living this life, that's what, what James says. He says, and let the testing of your faith produce steadfastness. Steadfastness, this idea that's able to stick and stand firm where you are. So as your faith starts working in your life, you're going to be able to stand firm in it no matter what's happening in life, no matter when you encounter those trials. Why? Because you know who you are in Christ. You know that that's the only true secure place. And so faith is going to produce that steadfastness. It's going to produce that steadfastness because the object of our faith not because of us, the object of it, because in Christ, because he alone, Christ alone can bring light into the darkness of your struggles. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't, you can't understand and see how to take that and all of a sudden ultimately shine light into a dark place like Christ can. So why do we try to do it with our struggles? And I do that all the time. I'm, I'm having, I'm frustrated I'm like, i got to fix all this stuff instead of just turning to him. Right? I can have joy in struggles and frustrations because of who Christ is, not because of who I am. Because in Christ, I'm one with him. I'm united with him. The union, the, when we're united with Christ, everything else fades into the background because he's the light that takes over the darkness of the struggling and the darkness of this world. And we also see then, if you go back to how James introduced himself, he says, a servant of God and of what? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant, we see also that we can have joy in struggling because a true servant is going to stay with their master regardless. Right? If you're a true servant, you're not going to leave when everything goes crazy. You're going to stay there because you know that's where you're safe. If darkness is caving in, why do we run and try to solve it ourselves instead of drawing closer to Christ? Because he's the one that gets us out of that. So if we're truly a servant, like James says, servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to hold closer to him, knowing that as a true servant, we know that our master is the only place that we're secure. And if he's the only place when we find security, then we can have joy and struggle because we're united with him. He's with us. 
And so then it just leads to an easy application. That's why James is so easy. It's all application. Do you trust God to take care of you? If your life is crazy, do you trust him with it? Completely trust him. Not that you like the idea of him taking care of you, but the actuality of him taking care of you. Because only Christ can light your path in a dark world. Only Christ can heal your wounds and sickness. Only Christ can comfort you when no one else can, when tragedy strikes and everything happens. Only Christ can give you comfort. Only Christ can sustain you. And so do you trust him to do those things or do you try to do it for him? Because if you're trying to do it for him, then you're not having joy and struggle because all you're focusing on is the struggle, not the joy to be had in Christ. And so when James says, count it all joy, that's why, because it comes to this understanding and this starting towards maturity of realizing that it's in Christ that you have joy at all. So you can count it all joy. Why? Because of Christ. Not because of who you are. And that, that reassures me. That, that, that is, allows me to think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm prone to screwing it up. Good thing my joy doesn't matter on me. Not that you can't be happy, not that you can't find joy, but our ultimate source of that is in Christ. So we can count on all joy when we face trials. Why? Because our faith in Christ is going to produce steadfastness that's going to allow us to be firm in who we are in Christ. And then that then is going to have its full effect so that we may be complete lacking to nothing. It's all working into this idea of maturity. But then the next thing, next progression is where James goes, is that if you're not joyful, then there's something wrong, right? He says, count it all joy. What if you don't? What if you don't count on joy? That's where we see where he goes next, and we understand that it's wisdom. There's wisdom and joy. So he says in verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For the person, for that person, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and stable in all his ways. So we see that if we're not joyful and struggling, the, the thought in James's mind, and it should be in ours, that there's something wrong. If we know who we are in Christ, if we've been regenerated by the Spirit, given new life, a heart, of, a heart of stone turned to a heart of flesh, we're understanding this, then we have joy in Christ. If we're not, something's wrong. And so James says, okay, so you're lacking wisdom, so ask for it. And we can understand wisdom simply here is just this idea of seeing life the way that God does. That if we're seeing life the way that God does, if we have the wisdom given to us by God to see the life, life the way that God does, then we're going to see it differently and we're going to have joy and struggles. So if you lack wisdom, ask. You've got to love that, right? It's just, it's common sense, right? If you need something, ask. And it's just, it, I don't know, maybe I'm weird like that, but it just strikes me funny. He's like, okay, if you lack it, just ask. Right? How many times do we fail to do that with God? I, I joke about it, but we don't do that, do we? No, we try to fix it ourselves. We don't ask God to give us. Why? Because we understand who we are, and there's no way that he can love us like that. We fail to remember the gospel so often. We must have wisdom to be joyful. We must see our lives the way God sees them, as pointing to his glory, as not made for this world if we're going to have joy in it. And so without wisdom, we're incapable of living the life that James 2 through 4 says. Those verses 2 through 4 says. Without wisdom, you're incapable of doing that. Why? Because you're going to see everything through your eyes and through your pers perspective instead of his, and then it's just daunting. 
and there's no way out of it. There's no way out of it. So no matter what struggles that you have, you have to have wisdom in that to be joyful through it. And so we ask for wisdom. If your struggles are, are too heavy, ask for wisdom to see how he carries that burden for you. If it's too long lasting, like you've been going through something for so many times, ask for wisdom to see how he sustains us throughout life. That he's the one true thing. Maybe you don't even know what the cause of your struggle is. Anyone feel like that? I have no idea what's going on. It's just crazy. He does. We're just saying that he's a good, good father. He knows what's happening in his children's life. So why don't we ask for the wisdom to see what's going on and realize that it's then in him that he carries us through that long suffering. That he then knows what's causing it and can take care of it. And why ask? Because he gives, right? Do you ever, do you ever, have you ever been that? Like you go into, I always, I always think about when I go ask a boss or something like that, like, you don't know what you're going to get, so you're apprehensive to ask, right? You're like, are they going to say no or yes? And you're like, I don't know what to do, right? You're like, I don't know. I'm so, I feel like I'm supposed to do this, but it might be bad, so you don't want to do it. I'd rather have no response than a negative response. Well, James gives us, it's a positive response. Why? Who gives generously without, to all without reproach. So God, we should ask him why, because he gives generously. And what this idea that James is saying here is not just generous like he gives everything, it's that he's continually giving, that he always sees our need and he's always ready to give. And then it's without reproach, which is less about him and more about us. That he knows who we are, yet he still gives. It's an amazing picture of the gospel right there in, in, in verse 5. Because God gives generously even though he sees who we are. We have his son. The best gift that we could ever have because we had need. And he knew that we didn't deserve it, yet he gave anyways. He gives generously without reproach. He doesn't hold ourselves against ourselves, and I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Isn't that encouraging that despite your failures, he still gives? Right? That's, that's reason for worship right there. We can stop there and just worship, we're fine. That understanding is a true gospel application. He gives without re reproach. He knows who you are and still gave his son. He knows who you are and still gives you the wisdom to see life the way that he sees it so that you can then overcome it knowing that you're in Christ. There's enough to go around. He's always willing to provide despite who we are. That's why he is a good father because he provides when we don't deserve it because he knows what we need. So do you have trust in God that he'll get you through it? It's the same question again, right? Do you have trust? Because if you don't, you're going to be the, 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 less, the last part of that little passage right there. But less ask in faith with no doubting. Right? Now it gets all of a sudden it gets tricky. Why? For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. I would say there we can see that a person then who asks in faith, asks with doubting, doesn't truly understand who they are in Christ. There's a lack of maturity in there. That if we, we, we go to him, it's like, there's no way he loves me that much. And that's, where, that's, that's where people knock on Christianity. It's like, there's no way that you can get something free. Nothing's free in the world. And so we ask, we, we're supposed to ask. He says, if you lack it, ask. And we ask thinking, is it really going to happen? 
No, because you don't even, if you're doubting that it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. Not that we have the power to say, oh, it's going to happen. I'm not talking about name it and claim it stuff. I'm just saying that if we understand who Christ is through faith, then we can approach him knowing that it's going to happen because of who he is, not who we are. It's for his end result. And so we see in that this idea that if your life is in chaos and it continues to happen and happen and happen, there's something wrong. Probably your faith. Probably that you think that you're allowing him to do it all the while you're setting yourself up to do everything. The only one true secure place in the world is in Christ. And so if your life has continued to be in chaos, James just described why. Because you're asking, doubting. You're asking without faith. Your faith isn't working through your life. And therefore, we shouldn't expect to get anything. Why? Because you're like a wind tossed to and fro. Every next good thing, that's what Facebook, Facebook is good about right now, is you see all the next cool things that are coming up that people are attracted to, right? All sorts of stuff that pop up on there, and it's annoying now. Like, I want to go back to when it was just statuses instead of all these ads and everything. But it's a perfect example. What, do you, what, are, what are people drawn to through that instead of Christ? Where do they find their salvation? Where do they find their security, their comfort? Where do they get rid of their struggles? Because if it's not in Christ, it's not going to survive. It's not going to last. That's, again, the J.A. Montier says that if we're not secure with God, we're not secure at all. It seems so simple. It's exactly what, what James is saying in verse 8, that he's double-minded, meaning you're trying to get be- the best of both worlds, have your cake and eat it too, but you're what? Unstable in all his ways. Nothing is stable about it, which leads to a chaotic life of struggle without joy, which is an immature Christian life because you don't understand who you are. In Christ, we have everything. And so then if we understand that there's wisdom and joy, you naturally conclude that there's maturity in wisdom. That if we're going to ask for wisdom and we understand it, we receive it because we have faith, our faith is working in our life, then we're naturally going to conclude that if there's wisdom and joy, then there has to be maturity and wisdom, and it all just keeps going back and forth. Look at the last part of that that passage that that Nikki read, even if you probably couldn't hear it because I didn't turn the mic on. It says, I'll read it for you so now we can hear. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers its grass and the flower, its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. There's maturity in wisdom. That's what James finishes this little section on as we see that. And then it just starts over. But, the, but there's some odd things. Like verse 9, it always, it always strikes me odd because if you, if you have someone that always boasts about what they're doing, isn't it annoying? Right? Aren't those those people you try to avoid at Walmart when you see them? Right? You're like, ooh, I'm going to go down this aisle even in your find yourself going down the the baby food aisle and you're like, I don't need that, but I'm not going to talk to them, right? It's annoying, isn't it? They always bring back the conversation to themselves. Well, this is what, I used to call them toppers because they always top their stories. You can't have a story because they've done something better. They always boast about everything that they've done. It's annoying, right? 
So then how do we look at this and say, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his end. Why is he telling you? Because he's not seeing this as a negative example because of the object of who they're boasting in. In verse 9, in the first part of verse 10, we see how we're supposed to boast as Christians. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. We need to stop there because a lot of times we read that and we, we take the first part of chapter 10 and we apply it to verse 11 and all the warnings. He's not talking there about the rich person that's scorching and fading away. He's talking about the rich brother. He hasn't switched. See, in verse 11, he says the rich man. So when we look at that, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What we see in that is the lowly brother, the person that doesn't have anything, in Christ has everything, so let me boast in my exaltation because of who Christ is. I'm exalted because Christ is. I'm not in this world. I don't have as much. I don't have anything. I'm lowly in this world. I'm going to boast in my exaltation in Christ because that's who I am. But the person here that does have stuff, the rich brother, in his humiliation, well, wait a second, if he has everything, why is he humiliated? Because in Christ, the gospel says it doesn't matter how much you have, you're still down here compared to Christ. So they can boast in their exaltation and their humiliation all because of who Christ is in their life. That's not saying that it's bad to seek wealth, to seek that. It's the mindset behind it that becomes the problem. It's okay to be successful and be a Christian if you boast in your humiliation within that and realizing that it's not about that. That in Christ, I'm nothing. And that's what he's talking about there. We need to not separate that because we have a problem doing that. We see that all these people that have all these resources, well, oh, well, they're just gonna fade away. Yes, it's harder for the rich person to boast because they can provide for themselves, which is what's happened to the American church. We provide for ourselves. We don't need faith, right? We need to boast in our humiliation, understanding that we are not this amazing thing Christ is. And if we don't have anything, we boast in exaltation because at one time, at one point, Christ is going to come back and what those that are in him are going to be exalted and added to his kingdom while those that are under are going to be subject to his authority and rule. So those are the two examples of the, the, the proper use of boasting. We boast in our exaltation. That's a gospel proclamation. If you're going to boast in your exaltation, you're going to proclaim the gospel. If you're going to boast in your humiliation, you're going to proclaim the gospel. It doesn't matter what I have. Look at who Christ is. I'm nothing. I'm nothing compared to him. And when we understand that, we realize that we're fragile in our life, yet strong in the Lord. And that's what we need to see in this idea. But then the warning does come. He does switch. He says, for the sun rises... Verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also with a rich man, notice he's separated them now. He's not talking about a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. When I read that, I think of the old school um, Scrooge McDuck, right? Do you remember that? Ducktails, what would he do? He would dive in his gold, right? not knowing what's going on around him, so the rich man fades away in the midst of his pursuits. They don't even realize what's happening around them because they're in the midst of their pursuit. They're going, they're going, they're going, they're going, and then all of a sudden something happens, typically death at the end of their life. They haven't achieved anything because they're boasting themselves and not in Christ. And so the rich man fades away in the midst of his pursuits. How many of us, in, in, aside there too, I use Scrooge McDuck, which is really isn't a, a best example because he had everything right 
you don't have to have everything to, to be rich in this mindset because if you're trying to gain everything, it's no different than having everything. If your whole focus is on achieving a level of wealth or comfort, it's no different than the person that's already achieved that because that's your ultimate thing. And so when we look at this, we see that our life is fragile yet strong in the Lord. We can boast in Christ alone, and that's where we find comfort. That's where we find security. That's when when we understand that, when we can apply the gospel to those areas of our life, that's when we're mature. When there's maturity in our wisdom and how we seek that wisdom to understand life as he does, then it's going to lead to that joy, but it's a level of maturity that then starts over. And then the gospel then applies itself a little deeper into your life. It penetrates a little deeper into your heart. And then it just continues this cycle. We don't get to the point where it's completed. It just keeps going. Our knowledge of the gospel should continually be increasing. And then it's going to pierce our heart a little different. And then we're going to have to find joy and struggle again because we understand it a little differently. Well, maybe I was holding that side back. But what do we do? We boast in who Christ is. We boast who we are in Christ, whether it's being exalted because we have nothing here or, or our humiliation because we realize that it doesn't matter what we have. And people, if you've known people that have a tremendous amount of wealth that, that give to the cause, they've understood that. And there's people that do that. Last year, Acts 29, they started, they started funding two different church planting, um, church planting like um, academies. One's in Philadelphia and one's in, um, in Sheffield in the UK. They had a dinner in Dallas just to say, fundraise, we're going to ask people. And in one night, they raised like $1.7 million. Like given, not pledged, given. There's people that understand that. There's people that understand that because they understand who we are in the gospel. But it doesn't have to be this big thing. What you have, do you hold on to it? If you do, then you're not understanding it the way James is. So we should always seek that. So the key to Christian living or Christian maturity in that is that the perspective that we need to seek is the perspective of the gospel. Because only in the gospel are we going to see that our lives are fragile, yet strong in the Lord. So when sickness comes, when, when cancer strikes, it's okay that our life is fragile. Why? Because we're strong in Him. It doesn't matter. The Puritans understood this. There's, I've got a book that talks about dying well. Like, who writes that book? Right? Who thinks, ooh, I'm going to write about this? Someone that understands the gospel, that realizes that how we care ourselves when tragedy strikes and death looms speaks volumes about who our Lord is. We also see that, that our way is dark, yet lit by the light of the world. Struggle, it's hard, it's dark, it's depressing, it's overbearing, yet it's lit by the light of the world who carries us through. That's Christian maturity, not removing struggles, but walking through them because of the power of Christ in you allows you to. And we also see that our possessions are worthless compared to the riches that we'll receive in glory. And when we understand all those things, that there's light for the darkness, that there's riches to come that are greater than anything that we can have, and that we're strong in Him, that's when we'll be mature. That's when we'll be on the road to maturing continually over and over again. And that's when we can, with James, say we count it all joy when we encounter struggles because we know who we are 
in Christ. And that's sons and daughters of his father. Let's pray.